Well, thanks, team. It's fantastic getting our hearts ready, bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Hope is an internal conviction that God is at work in the future for your good. An internal conviction that God is at work according to his word in the future and for your good. This passage that we're looking at in Acts 28 is all about trusting and believing that that hope exists and is available for you. And I tell you what, it's easy for us to get in a position where we think that uh, looking ahead to the future, it's going to be dark, uh, there's no plan, we're off the rails, not sure, but we're here today to look to the scriptures to remind ourselves that the future is not, uh, is, is not characterized by random. The future is not characterized by you and me trying hard enough to make something happen. The future is characterized by God strongly working according to his word for the good of mankind, including his people who trust his Savior. And that's what Acts is all about. We are on the, uh, the, the second to the last installment in our study in the book of Acts. We'll look today at uh, part A of this story, and then next week at part B, and then here we will be at the the end of the, the book. The book of Acts has done a great work for us, has it not? If we go all the way back to Luke, we see this beginning of a of a, a, a Savior who was promised from the Old Testament, who was delivered to the, the place promised in Micah, yeah, to Bethlehem. This one who would come uh, as a baby into this world. This one who was delivered to Jerusalem, made claims and proved them, and met all the prophetic statements about who this Messiah would be, and then ultimately went to Calvary to die to be raised again the third day. And now the book of Acts has taken the, the movement of that story all throughout from Jerusalem and Caesarea and now across to Malta. And now today it has finally reached its intended end, namely the Roman capital of the entire known world. Next week we will hear, this can't be stopped. God is moving in the world. And Acts, is, it ends abruptly without any statement that Paul ever gets to the Caesar, that uh, there was a great work of many people coming to faith in Jesus in Rome. We don't see any of that. We just see this. The gospel reaches the Roman capital of the world to God be the glory. He's at work in this world. And so as we turn to Acts 28, let's get our hearts in the text in verse 17. We're just going to go from verse 17 down to verse 22 today. And we're going to have just this one part of the story as Paul brings the gospel and and the hope of the gospel to Jewish people in Rome. Here we go. Acts 28, verse 17. Three days After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty 
because there's no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any, spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. And Father, we pray for help today that we would have insight from Paul's example and from this narrative in the scriptures we praise you that you're good. We praise you that you're at work in this world. We praise you that the, the story of the spread of the name and the fame of Jesus Christ is recorded for us to learn from and to be inspired to this day to follow after. And we pray for help because every one of us in this room has got loved ones who need Jesus. And we're asking, according to your work and will, that you would be at work in the future for their good, according to your word. Use us, Lord. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have now seen the fulfilled promise. And we've been referring back to it time and time again, Acts 23, 11, where God makes this promise and says, listen, Paul, you for sure will get to Rome. You're going to have safe passage to Rome. And then we could look at, at chapter 27. And in chapter 27, verse 24, not only will you get to Rome, you will stand before Caesar. These are the things that will come to pass. Do you ever have a prayer answered? And it mess with you a little bit? I've had prayers answered sometimes, and I sometimes have gotten myself untracked from the goal. It's possible to receive the good gift of God and forget that the good gift is not the end. The good gift is the beginning. And what I mean by that is Paul could have easily said, okay, it's time for me to kick back. God gave me this very specific promise. I have been through hell and high waters. I have had the most difficult passageway in the history of mankind. I've recently been bit by a, a snake just months earlier. They're, they're dragging me into Rome. Finally, they are responsible to get me here. God was responsible to get me here, and now I'm here. And so now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick back and just wait and see what happens. And I get tempted to do that when I start praying, God, would you heal? Okay. And then I start thinking, the healing is the gift, and so therefore that was the point, and that's what I've been praying for. And then I get caught into praying for peace, praying for ease, praying for comfort, praying for God to show me, do something. And I start making that my whole prayer life, forgetting that when God works according to his will, when he keeps the promise, or when he, or when he answers a prayer, it's the beginning of what he wants to do in life, not the end. What he wants to do in our life is get us to Rome to testify. Or we might say to get us into the neighbor's life to testify. Or to show our nurse or to show our financial planner or to show our broken relationship friend that Jesus is sufficient and that he is beautiful and that he's our king. 
And so he's not just trying to make our life comfortable. He is answering prayer according to his will to put his glory on display in this world. Look at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. Now look what Paul didn't do. Kick back. He took initiative, right? So while you and I are fulfilling the purposes of God in our lives in disciple-making, First things first, minister to the people in front of you, even when you're, or even as your prayers are answered. Now listen, Paul was doing it when his prayers weren't answered yet. Paul was continuing to minister when the promise wasn't received yet. That's understood. And that, quite frankly, is where most of us live. We're waiting. Paul is no longer waiting, but he is still ministering. So he hasn't confused the gift and the answer to prayer and the movement of God as if that is the answer. But look what he does. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. So here is is what he is all about. He's active in sharing his faith, not passive. He he could have just sat in house arrest. Look at verse 16. When we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself. They probably gave him his cell phone. He was mastering, you know, whatever you master on your cell phone, Scrabble. That's what I play on my cell phone too much. i got to stop playing it so much. Okay, never mind. Maybe it was some other kind of game, right? He was alone, and he could have just said, man, I need some time alone. I, this has been the worst. He doesn't. Alone by himself with the soldier, the first thing he does after three days, a long weekend, he says, okay, I've got to pull these Jews together. And I've got to start talking to them about the story and about the realities of who Jesus is. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. So here he is. He is active and not passive. Paul was waiting to have an audience with Caesar. And he could have said, you know what? God, it's up to God to get me to Caesar. And so that's why I'm here. And I'm just going to wait. But he doesn't. He calls together the leaders of many Jewish synagogues in Rome. And by the way, this was kind of a touchy situation. He was calling all these Jews together from throughout the city of Rome, and they could have said, hey, uh, Paul, uh, why are you with the soldiers? What's that all about? Why are you chained up? We've had problems in the last couple years here in Rome and been accused of a lot of things. We really don't want to have anything to do with more problems. So if you're bringing soldiers with you, why don't you just keep that to yourself? So Paul had to find a way to explain to these Jewish synagogue leaders why in the world he was under lock and key. And so we'll talk about that in just a few few minutes. But he has a ton in common with these people. And he knows it. And so he pulls these guys together and says, look, the people that are closest to me, the people that are connected with me, I'm going to start a conversation with them right away about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. He's active, not passive. Am I? In the same way, looking around and seeing the people who are, who are like me, common with me, things in common, employed at the same place, have some of the same uh, f- features in our lives. It's a baseball team. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, we go to the same place at the same time. We get our coffee every day. The last four Thursdays, Nikki and I have shopped at Meyer in the afternoon, and we've run into the same person every week at Meyer. 
And so we're beginning to text ahead now. You want to meet at Meyer? That'd be great. Point being, you run into people on a regular basis. If you get your hair cut by the same person. And so you can be active and purposeful in the way that you're reaching out. And you and I say, oh, I'm not in Rome for a brief day. I'm in Sheboygan for a Sheboygan County. I'm in, I'm in Sheboygan County for a long stay. What should be my plan for ministering to these people and getting active in their life? And I'm here to tell you, I love this. I have no idea. But this I know. Paul was tired of the random of the boat, and he was ready for the consistent and the active and the purposeful and the initiative taking. And so he called out to the people that he knew would come and listen and say, let's get together. Guys, we got to be like that. Every one of us. Every one of us taking opportunity to connect with people not in the church, not thinking not, not people who merely think like you. People who are unlike you in many ways. Be strategic. Do you see what he's done here in verse 17? After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. Remember that he was trained as a Pharisee. He had an in with them. He knew about them. And when they had gathered, he said to them, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, what he said, but he had a, uh, a purpose in, in calling them together. Be strategic and ask God to work in the lives of the people around you. Minister to those people who are in front of you. Jews who reject Jesus as Messiah, as Paul once did, are not regarded as the enemy for Paul. Unbelievers were not the enemy. Unbelievers were his friends. They were the first people he had something in common with. Paul does not neglect this very fertile ground of people who believe the scriptures but did not know about Messiah just yet. And so with your, with your prayer answered or your prayer not answered, stay focused on this, God's purpose for you in Sheboygan to reach people. When God answers prayer, when he keeps the promise, his work continues. And in some respects, his work is just starting. Is he keeping a promise to you today? He's working according to his word. Secondly, while fulfilling the purposes of God for your life in disciple-making, find gracious and engaging on-ramps, starting with your testimony. Verses 17b through 19. Now listen, we've been talking a lot about on-ramps. We're going to have a, uh, a series that, uh, that is going to help us with this whole idea of on-ramps. It's going to start after Labor Day. It's in the, this hour, the 930 hour. And for all of you who are gathered here and those of you who are gathered on, online, stay coming to these services. But the series will be recorded, and I hope it will be helpful. But it's going to talk about how do we begin conversations. And it's going to do things like, well, let's look at Paul's example here. So Luke has been recounting the expansion of the message about Jesus from Jerusalem to Rome. He's been writing about this, and he knew all about his hearers' backgrounds, and Paul knew all about his hearers' backgrounds, the preconceptions, preoccupations, their values. He knew how to start with them. So look at verse 17. He said to them, unbelieving friends. No, he said this, brothers. But he said brothers to people who did not believe Jesus. He used inclusive language. That's how he started. He looked for places of commonality. He looked for how to engage the one that was not like him.
about three weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call, an international Zoom call. It was a missions Zoom call. And in this call, there were Hindu background believers. And there were people of all sorts of different ethnic and, most importantly, religious backgrounds. And the question was asked, what is it that the people in your culture are looking for? And the answer was given, the people that I am talking with want ease and comfort. They want physical health and financial security. They want a sense of peace on earth in their hearts. And that's where we start conversations with them. So you don't have to have a big socioeconomic degree or social degree, social work degree to understand people. Here's what's true about your neighbor. They want peace. They're looking for peace. They want to figure out how to live a life of peace, tranquility, calm. And the world around them has told them that it comes through money or pleasing yourself or or happiness or going your own way, doing your own thing, and there's a million different ways to get it. But here's where we can start with our neighbors, places of commonality, places of humanity, where we can look at and say, look, we are all made in the image of God. And here in Sheboygan County, the desire for your friends and your neighbors is for peace with God, and it's a great place to start. I want peace, don't you? You can talk to them about that. I'm looking for confidence that in the future things are going to be, uh, get better. And you and I can talk about that because of hope, right? And so that's what you and I have in common with every person in the world. You don't have to discuss morality. You know that? You don't have to win an argument with your neighbor about morality. You're going to talk about Jesus. You don't have to win an argument with your neighbor about politics. doesn't matter if they're conservative doesn't matter if they're super liberal, doesn't matter if they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, doesn't matter. In five years, we're going to look back and nobody's going to ask anybody about any vaccine question. We're all going to want peace in our lives. And it's ironic to me that we start with the things that separate us and let them separate us and let them become big issues, and let them become reasons to not talk, and let them become reasons to avoid, and let them become reasons to distance, and let I let them sometimes become reasons in my heart to not care. Can I just tell you in love? That's not Christian. So here we have Paul saying to a group of unbelievers, brothers, let us come together. Though I, And you see him saying that? Against our people, the customs of our fathers. You have a lot in common. You can talk about the hours of Sheboygan County. You can talk about the, the way that we share a culture in common in many different ways. Therefore, you have something in common with your neighbor. Start there. You can have peaceful and hopeful conversations with your old and young neighbor. You can have peaceful and hopeful conversations with rich neighbors and poor neighbors. You can have peaceful and hopeful conversations with healthy neighbors and with ill neighbors. You can have peaceful and hopeful conversations with black neighbors 
and Hispanic neighbors. You can have peaceful and hopeful conversations with straight neighbors and with gay neighbors. You can have peaceful and and hopeful conversations with conservative neighbors and liberal neighbors when we stay focused on Jesus Christ, on sober neighbors and addicted neighbors. We all have a story to tell, my friends, and that story starts with rebellion and requires redemption, and it's all about peace that comes from God, and we have opportunities to to move into these on-ramps all the time. So I am a uh, woodworker by secret trade. You don't know that because it's a lie. All right. So what I did, though, was I was refinishing my front door, and I took the front door off, and it was in the garage, and I had to do this whole thing to it, and it turns out I got halfway done, and it turned out I needed to do something else, so I had to undo. So I had painted the whole door, and then I had to uh, fill the door with some epoxy. It's a long story. I won't bore you with it, but I will tell you this. My front door was off the hinges for three weeks. My neighbor would walk by and say, what are you doing? What are you? So he would come into my garage. His name is Dale. Dale, if you're watching, hello. And he would say, preacher, that's what he calls me. <laughs> preacher, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? This door has been off here for a long. So he, he saw the door off, but he, couldn't, he knew he could enter my house at any time he desired. But after two weeks, he said, preacher, I've heard that Jesus could be a door. And if I was waiting for you to make the door that's Jesus, I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't go to heaven. And I I said, Dale, the work that Jesus did is all done. But here's the point. He brought the on-ramp to me. He started the conversation with something common and brought it to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there are examples all over the place. If you love babies, you can start with talking about babies and life. If you love Lake Michigan, you can start talking about the goodness and beauty of fresh water. If you love uh, a friend who recently was healed, you can talk about the beauty of these bodies that somehow work. I go for a run every other Saturday or something like that with a friend. We can't believe we have bodies that are still working and getting us down the road. And we can have conversations with people about these things. But I'm telling you, these on-ramps are crucial places to start conversations about Jesus Christ. Babies and flowers and water and living. And these on-ramps are everywhere. I'm learning how to take advantage of them. I'm still really bad at it, but I want to grow in it. And I'm learning from a lot of you how to take the next step. And I'm learning when I read Jesus, when he talks about, I'm the living water when he talks about, I'm the door, when he talks about these common everyday things, and he's got something much bigger in mind, and he's going to go there. And that's what you can do with your friends. Common everyday thing, you've got something much bigger in your mind, and you're praying for an opportunity to go there. You won't always come to fruition. You won't always get there, but you have it in your mind and your heart, and you want to go there. Find gracious and engaging on-ramps, starting with your testimony, and then tie it together. Look at verse 18. When they had examined me, you see he's telling his testimony, but he's really starting to talk about uh, Jesus Christ here. And let's go up actually to 17b. We're just going to read through these verses. Um, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, that language of inclusion with these unbelievers... Our people and the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. 
So he was saying, uh, our brothers or our father, they, they had an accusation against me. And so here's the legal situation. I was tried in Rome and the people in Rome found me guiltless. Verse 18, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. So you see what he's doing here is he's saying, look, the reason I'm still chained up to a guard, I haven't done anything illegal. The Roman people found me innocent. But until this trial's over, I'm going to be chained to this guy. But I don't want you to be afraid that I'm going to get you into trouble here as you affiliate with me. Okay? Though I had no charge to bring against my, my own nation. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, I didn't offer a countersuit. I'm loyal to, to Jerusalem. I'm loyal to Israel. I'm not trying to, to, to say that they were doing something wrong, but they did have charges against me, and it was proven in a court of law that those charges have no bearing, have no weight. So while fulfilling the purposes of God for your life and disciple-making, we're ministering to those people that are in front of us, and we find gracious ways to uh, encourage or to engage with them, engaging on ramps, and number three, to identify Jesus clearly because he is the hope of Israel. That's where he goes next. Now, have you, you ever gotten on an on-ramp and suddenly realize you've got to stop? An on-ramp, two things. It's a terrible place to stop, and it's a lousy destination. No one goes to the on-ramp. That's not where you're going. You're always going somewhere else. And so when you start a conversation with your friends, you're always going somewhere else. You're always going forward. You're always hitting the gas as best you can. You're moving ahead in this conversation. That's exactly what he does is he brings his testimony to a place where he fully identifies Jesus Christ. And so that's what our friends and neighbors need us to do, to not only have creative on-ramps where we talk to them and engage with them, but to also have purposeful place that we're going where we specifically identify Jesus Christ as who we are talking about. For this reason, he says in verse 20, therefore, I have asked to see and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And he wants to say to them, guys, you're Jews. You know the Old Testament. So let's unpack that momentarily. The hope of Israel is a direct statement to the Older Testament where God makes a promise that there is going to be one servant that he sends to take away the sin of the world. We could go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and see the promise that, that God says, in the day you sin, he does not cast judgment or, or operate judgment or drop it on your head, he comes and makes a promise and says, here, I promise I'm going to take away the uh, effect of the evil one. And I'm going to do it by sending my servant. He says, the offspring of a woman. And all through the Old Testament, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. It's going to be a person. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Abraham, it's going to come through your line. We could come to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we could see how it's going to be uh, 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 someone, a ruler, who's going to sit on David's throne. 
We could look all through the Old Testament and we will see that the, the promised one to take away the sins of the world, the hope of Israel, is a person. God promised to send a person. You can turn back to Jeremiah 14. In Jeremiah 14, the, the phrase hope of Israel is used exactly in that same way. While the, while the wicked were flourishing and there was a drought in place, the righteous were suffering greatly. And sometimes we might ask this question, isn't it embarrassing, God? Isn't it embarrassing that here in this world, the people that seem to name your name are, are, are poor or suffering or in harm's way? They are not in control of government. They are oppressed all around the world. Shouldn't that be embarrassing at some level? While the wicked flourish? And here in Jeremiah chapter 14, that exact thing was happening. Though the iniquities, though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your namesake. Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O you hope of Israel, its savior in time of trouble. And there's a connection made between hope of Israel and, and God himself. And here, uh, here uh, Paul is, is making a statement that uh, what he has done is he's put his faith in a particular, a particular person who is Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, all of the Old Testament promises, all of the prophets, we're talking about Jesus. And so he's trying to convince these people in, in a, uh, he's trying to convince them that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament promises. This isn't the first time he's done that. If we look back at uh, Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, you see this is what he's been doing for chapter upon chapter, quietly. He's been saying, my hope, Jesus Guaranteed, guaranteed that it's him, resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead guaranteed, guarantees that he's the Messiah. Chapter 23, verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And he goes on from there. We could turn to chapter 26 and verse 6. And here he is uh, on trial before Agrippa. And he says these, They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial. Why? Because my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. And so what he's saying is this. Every fair-minded Jewish person in the world should read the Old Testament and realize the Messiah is here. And his name is Jesus. Just read. What he's saying here is I am not doing anything other than holding to the Old Testament text. I embrace it. I'm holding to it. In fact, it's the reason why I'm in chains here before you today. The principle for you and me is we can't just talk in generalities to our friends. We can't just say, well, you know, try to be a good person. You need to get back to church. 
You need to try a little bit harder. What we need to do instead of that is find ways, engaging ways to speak to our neighbors where we start with these on-ramps and we make it very clear that we are talking about faith in a risen Savior. Because otherwise, it's just religion. It's just temporary. Now I want you to think about your friends that you talk to. And I want you to think about what's going on in their lives. And I want you to think about the way they think about life and living. And I want you to think about how you have a common starting place with longing for peace. And I'm asking you to get alone with the Lord and with this text and with the scriptures this week and jot down phrases that you believe would make it obvious to them that you're not talking about vaccines. You're not talking about politics. You're not talking about religion. You're not talking about attending church. You're not talking about any of those things. You're talking about believing in a Savior who is risen from the dead. That's where you're going. Little phrases, little statements, because what Paul didn't do here is share with them the entire plan of the Old Testament and go into great, uh, that's going to be Gary's job next week as he finishes this whole study in the book of Acts. He's going to go there. But what he does right now is he's priming the pump. A little conversation, a little statement, make it clear you're talking about Jesus, and then stop. That's where I struggle because I want to keep going. I think I can make it clearer. But Paul stops. I'm so glad that he did. Listen, the law and the prophets make it clear that we are waiting for one righteous and perfect servant from God. Jesus Christ is the one and the only Messiah. And as we point to him, Paul is just emphasizing time and time again, the roots of our fathers who have been waiting for, that's what hope is, waiting for the Messiah have been fulfilled. The only true Jews will continue to trust this Jesus. And so moving forward from this moment, there's no option. If you count yourself a a true blue Jew, he's saying you've got to trust the Old Testament prophets and law. You've got to trust that Jesus is raised from the dead and you've got to believe that he's the king and he is on his throne. Well, now Paul stops and we see there in verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel. I'm wearing this chain And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. Do you ever think that everybody should know your story? Especially when it's painful and it seems like the word has gotten out. Like everyone should know who I am. Everyone should know the situation. And these people say to Paul, "Uh, we haven't heard anything about you, man. Who are you again? Now, they knew who Paul was because he had already written the book of Romans. And, there was, and he, the book of Romans was to Christians in Rome. These are Jews in Rome. So there is some confusion and some overlap and some questions about exactly what they knew. And so that's super interesting to think about what they, were, what they knew. But, but they basically said to him, uh, you're not as big a deal as you think you are. 
We haven't heard of you. Now, before we jump to conclusions, we should remember that Paul was on the last boat out of Caesarea in the fall, and he was on the first boat in to Rome in spring. And it's not exactly, it's not as if they had Twitter and they could just check, you know, what's going on with with Paul, right? So it's really possible that word just had not reached Rome yet about this whole story. But at any rate, Paul was put in his place. And I think it's just beautiful when you and I get put in our place. Your story, honestly, can I just tell you in love, my story, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people know all the trouble I've been through. It doesn't matter if people have seen the difficulty. What matters is that they see Jesus. And so here Paul gets a straight-up word from these Jews. Uh, we, we really don't know anything about what you're talking about. And uh, so we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. Uh, so, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Looks like you're going to be staying a while. Look at verse 22. But we desire to hear from you. Can I just tell you, man, I want to live my life in such a way that somebody would say, Paul, based on the way you've interacted, based on your character, based on your faith, based on your calmness, based on your patience, based on your inclusiveness, based on your integrity, based on your reasonableness. I want to hear more from you. I really believe right now in this world, a lot of Christians are living in such a way that unbelievers would say to me, I don't want to hear anything more about what you've got to say. I'm done. Because it's not about character, and it's not about Jesus, and it's not about integrity. I'm crybaby. I'm, I'm wanting it my own way. I'm, I'm complaining about everything in sight. I'm telling people they're doing it wrong. I'm crying out in frustration. Can I just tell you? I don't think anybody in the world is going to respond with this. We desire to hear more from you if I keep living my life that way. It's not going to happen. Paul waited for an invitation. I want to hear more about this Jesus. And so, friends, these on-ramps are crucial. These relationships are crucial. This making it clear and plain that you're talking about a resurrected Jesus, not morality. You're talking about a resurrected Jesus is crucial. And then being in relationship with somebody where you wait for them to say to you, I want to hear more about this Jesus. We desire to hear from you what your views are with regard to this. Hey, and don't think we live in a world where that won't happen. Because look what it says there next. Uh, We've heard about this sect, and everywhere we hear about it, it's spoken against And you think, well, nobody receives Jesus naturally. Of course they don't. You're right about that. Nobody wants to hear more about Jesus. No, those are two separate things. 
There's a whole world of people who want to hear about Jesus because he's spoken negatively about in the world around us, because he's misunderstood, because there are many who, who uh, do not testify and bear witness to him well. And so because he's controversial and because it's difficult, there are many people that are going to want to hear about him, I pray, from you. What if all of us have a plan to reach out to our neighbors like Paul did in Rome? What if all of us have uh, low-hanging fruit, people in our lives, people we connect with, we're with them all the time, and we're talking to them about Jesus. We have a plan to engage them. We have a, a specific way in which we want to make certain that they understand we're talking about Jesus Christ, him crucified, and then we wait for them to ask us to go deeper, and we follow up and follow through. What if every person, every family represented in this world at the end of the next nine months has one person that has heard a clear explanation of Jesus Christ because of a prayerful pursuit in our lives? And what if half of us are successful in bringing someone to the faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is showing us. How to move the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. How to move the gospel from the religious setting to the secular setting. How to move the gospel from the living room to the arts and to the cubicles. I end with this. All of Luke and Acts has come to this incredible crescendo. A baby born in a manger in Bethlehem is the Son of Man, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The progressive movement of revelation of God has moved from the temple in Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary, and his one unfolding plan is now clearly seen to include all the nations. The hope of Israel has become the hope of the whole world. Paul has now reached out to Jewish leaders in Rome. In Rome, the leading city of the world by God's grace and according to his will, the gospel cannot be hindered, and it cannot be hindered in 2021 in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, as it invites all the nations to come and worship this hope of Israel. He is risen from the dead once for all who receive him. The weight is over. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we need you. We need you. I pray that we have plans to reach out to our neighbors. Some of us will do the reaching into our own homes. For some of us, it's a parent who is developing a plan for presenting Jesus to their 12-year-old son. We stop right now and pray for that. For some of us, we can't do it on the clock at work, and we're thinking, how in the world am I going to reach out to a patient or a, a client? And we're beginning to think about our living room as a place to invite. We're beginning to think about staying after work on purpose to have conversations. For some of us, we have a neighbor who's gay and we have avoided talking to them 
because we feel like the distance between them and us is far. But they just want peace. Would you help us devise a plan to just start here? Let's admit we're all human and we want peace. Would you help us have conversations with unbelievers, with inclusive language and kindness? Help me not avoid conversations that would be difficult or that I naturally don't gravitate toward. Help me be intentional. Lord, I pray that as a, as a result of the study of the book of Acts, that you are having your hand on people who are currently dead in their sins, and you are going to bring them into faith in Jesus Christ, life, in the coming days. As a result of a response of all of us, to obediently follow after the example of Paul. And Lord, we praise you. In closing, we just want to praise you and say thank you that the hope of Israel is the hope of the whole world as we trust Jesus together. And it's in his name we pray you dismiss us. Amen.